Good morning, good morning. Great to see you. Welcome to Sunnybrook Christian Church. We're so delighted you're worshiping with us this morning. Hope you're comfortable with your coffee or muffin, whatever you're having this morning. I'm excited to hear Morgan as she uh, talks to us about the 73rd Psalm. We're continuing our journey through the Psalms. So let's get started this morning uh, as we look at the 73rd Psalm. God's ways vindicated, a psalm of Asaph. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things out loud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, so I can tell about all you do. If you've been around during this series in the Psalms, it should not surprise you at all that when we read verse 1, it reads like this, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. God is good. This shouldn't surprise you, like I said, because um, we have heard that throughout every psalm we've preached thus far, that we've studied. There is some aspect of God's goodness as a part of the psalm. It's a huge theme that we see run throughout this, um, these books of the Bible, um, particularly the book of Psalms. We learned how God is the good shepherd. We learned how um, Israel, even when they're unfaithful, God is still faithful. We learned about God's law, um, his scriptures, and how we can meditate on it day and night. It is a light to our path. It is a good, good book. Even last week, um, when Zane was talking about God knowing us and how that might even unnerve some of us, he says, yeah, but think about this. He knows you and he loves you anyways. The God we serve is a good, good God. 
We have been all over the place in Psalms, and we see that time and time again. So, surprise, surprise, we're going to be in Psalm 73 today, and the first verse is God is good. It's a no-brainer, something we should already know, right? Well, I guess, but have you ever known something to be true and then have that truth not match up with reality? Has that ever happened to you? Last week, um, I'm a foster parent, and I have a seven-year-old daughter, and on Friday, that is my, my day off. And I usually don't have meetings on that day, but this day I did. I was going to have a meeting with one of our small group leaders here in the church. And so we were going to meet at Boomer Lake. It was beautiful outside, and we were going to walk around the lake. It takes about an hour. It's about three miles. Um, if you've never done it, you should. It's, it's really peaceful. And we were supposed to meet at 1130. Well, I get a phone call, and my daughter's having some issues, and she's going to need to be picked up from where she is. So I go and I get her. And I'm getting ready to cancel my plans. And then I think, no, I'm not going to cancel my plans. We're still going to have this meeting. We're still going to walk around the lake. And she can just walk right along with us. It might not be very pleasant, but we'll make this work. So my good friend, was, she was good with all of this. She said, yeah, we can still meet. No big deal. We start walking along this path around Boomer. And at about, I don't know, three-fourths to a mile, to the first mile, um, my foster daughter comes running up because she's been kind of pouting behind us. Um, and she runs in front and she just explains with every ounce of her being, you're just going to make me walk forever. And I said, no, you're not going to walk forever. But this is what we plan to do today. And you had issues where you were and now you're with us. And so you are going to walk for about an hour around this lake. And she said, we're not walking around a lake. We're walking around the entire world. She just couldn't see the truth. Um, in her mind, I mean, she knew that she could trust me. She knows um, that I would not make her walk for all of eternity. That would just seem silly, uh, futile. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, in her tired feet and her frustrated heart, and her seven-year-old eyes, we are going to be walking for all eternity. And, you know, this is kind of funny if you think about that from an adult perspective. I looked at my friend several times, and we just kind of smiled like, this little girl has no idea. Like, no, this is not forever. She's being a little melodramatic. But, and she was. But isn't this exactly what we do? I mean, even as adults especially when things are not going our way, especially when things go, aren't going our way, we have trouble knowing logically that something is true, but it not matching up with our experience in the moment. And then what happens for us is that that truth becomes threatened as we begin to trust that our experience drowns it out. Our experience is our truth. Psalm 73, um, in this psalm, the psalmist is in a moment like this. Only a lot more is at stake. If you read verse 2, the psalmist has started out by saying God is good. But then the psalmist quickly jumps to this statement. But as for me, 
My feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Why? Why is this, this psalmist, this person that was writing this song to the Lord, why were they about to leave the Lord? Why were they about to go the other way? Well, it tells us in verse 3, For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Ah, oh, what I know to be true, God is good to the pure in heart. I'm not seeing that play out because there's the wicked over here, those far from God, those who are not pure in heart, and they're seeming to experience a lot of goodness here. They are wealthy. They are well-fed. They are provided for. They seem to be at ease. If you were to read on in the psalm, you see that really it's kind of like they just, their mantra is eat, drink, and be merry. YOLO, you only live once. Let's just chase whatever makes you happy. They don't even seem to be facing the same kind of troubles as others. They say they don't need God, and by the looks of their life, they seem like they're doing just fine without him. It says, therefore, pride is their necklace. How dare you come to me and tell me I need this thing? Don't you see? I'm doing just fine. I am my own God. It says, violence covers them like a garment. It says that not only is their heart, the heart's imagination full, um, that it just goes off wildly away from the laws of God, but it also says that their words are everywhere. I mean, listen to this in verse 8. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Strut across the earth. The wicked have great influence. In fact, the verse after that says that his people, this is God's people, therefore turn to them and they drink in their overflowing words. Other believers are actually turning and and starting to believe that what these worldly wicked people have to offer may be the better way to go. Maybe that is what is true. They're falling for it. Hook, line, and sinker, the people of God. Good things continue to happen to those wicked people. They're always at ease. They increase in gaining more and more and more, whether it's status or money or fame. And as we come to verse 13, we see the question at hand. The question that has caused the psalmist to nearly walk away and join the masses who have listened to the wicked. The psalmist cries out, Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Am I obeying the Lord for nothing? Have you been there? I have. Am I missing out? Is this following God business really worth it? Because I know the Lord is good to the pure in heart, but a lot of impure people seem to be having a pretty good life at the moment. And not only do the wicked seem to be like without affliction, without turmoil, but I'm afflicted all day long and I'm punished every morning. I'm suffering over here as I'm following you, Lord. It's the wondering of how come those people have the joy of a happy marriage or they have the joy of having obedient children or they have three vacation homes. When I'm over here hard at work to obey the Lord and I'm barely making ends meet, my relationship with those closest to me is in complete turmoil. And if God is really good to those who follow him, then how come the wicked prosper and I'm afflicted? That's the tension. 
That's the truth that we know and the reality we experience completely juxtaposed against one another. (laughs) I mean, this psalmist is really in a pickle. (laughs) He really is at a crossroads here. I've been there. Have you? Are you there now? He goes on to say even further in verses 15 and 16, if I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. Essentially, what he's saying is, I can't even speak my concerns and my doubts aloud because I don't want to undermine the other believer's faith. I have a responsibility to the people of God, and I have an identity with the people of God, and so I'm stuck to my own thinking and my own reasoning, and I'm trying to sort this whole thing out and give it great thought, but no matter what I do, I just, I'm hopeless. I cannot understand. I'm at the end of my rope. I can feel my feet starting to slip. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Have you been there? And if you're there, what are we to do? What do we do? The turn in the psalm, marvelous verse 17. It says, until I was hopeless, I did not understand, until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. The psalmist can't understand it on his own, and so he enters the sanctuary of God and he brings all his problems with him. Until I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood their destiny. Now, I have to kind of geek out on you just for a moment. When I was studying this psalm, one of the things I look for when I study is a repetition of words. And so what I noticed is that it used the words understand a lot in this psalm. And so I looked up in the original language, and I actually discovered the word understand is used four times. It's used um, in verse 11. When the wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? So they're mocking God, and they're saying, can God really understand? It's used again whenever the psalmist says, I tried to understand what was happening and why this seems off, but I seemed hopeless. It uses it again when the psalmist is reflecting after making sense of it all and says, ah, I see how I didn't understand. But it's also used in this verse 17. There's a change in understanding for the psalmist here. And the word understood in verse 17 is a different word than all the other sense of understanding we read in this particular psalm. You see, the other sense of understanding is this word yada. And this word simply means to perceive, to know, um, to know experientially, to know by experience. But the word bin, the word for understand in verse 17 is different. It's a knowing that is beyond experience. The underlying idea is to discern. It's similar to yada, but bin refers to like judgment and insight. It's manifested in knowledge, but it's knowledge apart from experience. And it is in the presence of God, that marvelous verse 14, that the psalmist understands. 
He comes to a resolve, an understanding apart from what he sees around them. It's, it's here in the presence of God that he finds discernment and insight. It is meeting with God in his sanctuary, meeting with God in worship, that he finds his resolve. It's in the presence of God that the psalmist knows. He knows beyond experience. He knows despite experience. As one of my old professors used to say, he knows deep down in his knower the answer to this question of despair from verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? (gasps) No, I didn't. I didn't. You see, friends, what we see is not always the truth about the way things are. I'm going to say that again for you because I think it's important. What we see is not always the truth about the way things are. This is one of the most pivotal moments, I believe, for a Christian, for a believer. You can talk to the staff. Um, This happens time and time again. I spoke to a Christian counselor one time, and um, she actually said that this is the, this chapter, chapter 73 of the book of Psalms is the chapter she reads more than any other, any other scripture to her clients. It is a spot that Christians find themselves in more than once as they follow the Lord. It's a pivotal point. Will you choose to trust God over your circumstance? Will you choose to trust God regardless of what others are doing and saying around you? Will you choose to trust God when your knowledge of him and your perception of reality are not lining up? It's the presence of God, and it is in the presence of God that we are given eyes to see the truth and ears to hear the truth. The curtains pulled back and we're able to see through the facade that the world is offering. I have a dear friend, a sister in Christ, uh, and she's been a follower of Jesus for a long time, like years and years and years. And just recently had a conversation and it reminded me of this text and it reminded me of so many other conversations I've had like this one. You see, we are talking about um, God and who he is. And one of the descriptors of him in scripture is him as a father. And she did not like this description because her father was an awful man. And her relationship with him was extremely unhealthy. And he did not possess any of the qualities that God the Father seems to describe in his fathership. And so her words to me, I mean, this mature believer was, I just need to find a different way to get to, my, to God. I just need to find a different path to understanding God. I just kind of take all the passages that talk about him as father and I just don't deal with those because I just can't because my experience with my earthly father was just not good. And I thought about that. And I had a couple of thoughts go through my head. Honestly, the first thought I had was, man, I've had a good dad. I don't know if I'm even allowed to speak here. (laughs) And then I thought, no, Morgan, you have the scripture. You can speak here. And so I said to her, I said, what would it take for you to make the jump 
And instead of understanding God through your experience, maybe you understand your experience by knowing God and knowing the truth about him. Have you ever even done a study on what father actually means? Maybe it is that your biological dad here on earth was not a father at all. Have you ever tried to flip the script? And I think we need to hear that. I think we, we do that all the time in our lives. We take our experience and then we use it as now our glasses to see and understand the world around us, the relationships we have, and especially our understanding of God instead of the other way around. Because it is actually the reality of God, his presence with us, and his eternal plan that gets to define our experience not the other way around. And marvelous verse 17 says, until I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood. I had a knowledge apart from experience. I understood their destiny. And then listen to what the psalmist does after that. We're just gonna read it line by line because what happens is the psalmist now is gonna go through all the things he said and he's just gonna give it a counterpunch as now he has a different understanding. He says, indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. Do you see? If you have your Bible in front of you, go ahead and just put a line straight from verse 18 to verse two because at the beginning of this psalm, the psalmist says their feet are about to slip. But now it says, ah, I see, actually you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. Timothy Keller says it this way, the psalmist realizes that the rich without God are on their way to being eternally poor. And the celebrities, those given much attention, without God, they are on their way to being endlessly ignored. When I became embittered and my inmost being was wounded, I was stupid and I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. It's this, ah, uh, how did I not see this before? Yet, I am always with you. It's important. We'll come back to that later. I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Sounds a little bit like God as our good shepherd, doesn't it? Unlike the wicked who set their mouths against heaven, um, this psalmist comes in to speak truth. And so instead of, um, instead of verse 9, we have verse 25 with his new understanding. And he says, who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on this earth besides you. If I don't have you, God, I don't have anything. I have nothing. Nothing else is going to last. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Most people love this next verse. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You realize what the psalmist is referring to here, right? I mean, as you read it in this context, he's saying, I realize that I'm going to fall into misunderstanding again. I realize I am certain that I am going to turn and see the prosperity of the wicked and I will start to slip again. But even when I do, even when I am unable to see clearly, even then God is my strength of my heart and he is the, my portion forever. He holds me with his right hand. He keeps me with him, and he's not letting me go. 
Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, again, circle that, but as for me. Now go to verse 2 when he says, as for me, my feet almost slipped. Ah, it's resolved. His feet aren't slipping anymore. He says, but as for me, God's presence is my good. That's my favorite line in the whole psalm. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. You see, the goodness of God is not defined by the peace of the wicked. Just like the goodness of God is not denied by the suffering of the pure in heart. No. Hear me today. The ultimate misery is to be far from God. And the ultimate peace is to be near him. The goodness of God is the self of God. God is good to the pure in heart precisely because he's their God. His presence is my good. It's kind of like an EMT who, let's say, just happens to be on the scene already when tragedy strikes. His presence is incredibly fortunate for the victim here, for the patient. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's like a father who maybe was deployed to serve our country. And then he comes back after months and months of being gone and he's going to surprise his kid. You've seen these videos. We see them on the news all the time. We end up crying, right? What happens? He pops out and the child runs to him and there are many tears. And the father didn't need to bring his child back a gift. No, his presence there, that is the gift. It's the bridegroom at the end of the aisle waiting for the bride. But it's even more than that. It's more than, than our words can, can express. It's more than our experience can explain. It's like living water to a thirsty soul. It's like the bread of life to a hungry heart. God is both the provider and the provision. He is both the creator and the gift. God is himself the source of peace, the source of joy, the source of love and comfort and holiness and righteousness. God himself is our satisfaction. His withness is our goodness. His withness is his goodness. We have made the Lord God our refuge so we can tell about all you do. I uh, thought it was interesting a few weeks ago when Drew was concluding his sermon on um, Psalm 119. And he talked about how good the word was and how that didn't even include all these passages from the New Testament on the other side of Jesus. And I can't help but think the same is true here. It says, but as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. Think about how much we more, more we know now. So I can tell about all you've done. I mean, what has God done? Right? Let me tell you what he's done. God sends himself to us. 
It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. Emmanuel, God with us, present with us. And then he died on a cross to make a way for us to be with him for all of eternity. Setting forth a path for all who want it. A way into an eternal relationship with God forever. And not only that, but after his death and after his resurrection and after his ascension to be with the Father once more, he sends to us his Holy Spirit, his witness, to live with us for the rest of our days. Isn't he good? Jesus, he's not just the means to an end. He is the end. So today I want you to take your cup and I want you to take your bread and I want you to eat and drink in the goodness of God.
today for corporate prayer, we're going to do things a little differently um, than we have the last couple of weeks. We're going to pray together, and I'm going to pray a series of facts um, or requests to the Lord, um, and then you will respond with this refrain, you keep us near you, and that is what we need. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. whether we have much or have little. Whether we have relationships at ease or relationships in turmoil. We have made you our refuge and we will tell of all you have done. Amen. Um, out of God's goodness, he, have, he has given us everything that we have. And I just want to remind you that um, we as a church um, have a responsibility and a privilege of giving back um, to all he is doing. So you can drop a check off at the church or you can um, donate online and um, put your offering online at the link. We'll see you next week.